Buenos dias and good morning. My name is Misael Gonzalez and I'm one of the pastors here. And let me tell you, the spirit of the Lord is so present in this place. I don't know if you feel it, but I'm like, my goodness, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're so kind and to be with us. And so I just want to say, man, I just hope you feel that with me. I hope you feel that with us. And, and I just want to tell you, if you're new with us, I'm so glad that you're here and, and welcome to First Baptist Church Owasso in Tulsa at the Calvary campus. Like this is awesome. My bad. Sorry, I guess I'm choked up in the spirit, I guess. Uh, but man, this is just so awesome to be with you guys. And, and let me tell you, I don't know if you see that like white electric guitar right there. I was actually supposed to be playing that this morning. Uh, but instead, I'm preaching and it's honestly such a privilege. And the reason that is, is because later, and I mean like super late this week, uh, I got a phone call from both Chris, our Pastor Chris and Pastor Chad. Uh, and they're like, hey, Misael. And this was Chris speaking, our senior pastor. He goes, hey, uh, yeah, I, I was with someone who's actually exposed to COVID, and so I, I can't preach. And I was like, oh, and this was like late this week. I mean, like late this week. And, uh, and I was like, okay. Um, and Chad and I were like, yeah, you probably shouldn't preach and, and be at church. He's like, yeah, probably not. And I was like, yeah. So now Chad is actually in Owasso, and I'm here with you guys uh, preaching the word of God. And I'm so grateful to be here because I truly, truly believe that the Lord has a word for us this morning. And I just want to let you know that, you know, Chris, he's, he doesn't have any symptoms. Uh, he's being tested. The results aren't back yet. So he's feeling fine. But I do want to take a moment uh, to pray for us this morning because I know that the, word, that the Lord has a word for us this morning. And I know that prayer is powerful. We need to pray for protection over Chris. Uh, so let's just pray together a quick moment. Lord, right now we come before you just in awe of who you are. Uh, thank you for how merciful you are and how gracious you are. Thank you that you protect us and that you are the provider of all things. And so, Lord, I, I pray a protection over Chris. Uh, Lord, that he will not be uh, sick, that you will protect him from uh, COVID. And, Lord, I just pray that you continue to do your will in his life and in our life and in the church's life. Uh, Lord, you are so present, and, and, and God, you're going to speak. And so I pray that you just make yourself so, so present like you already have in our lives, that our minds and our hearts would be so open to your word. Lord, speak to us, please. We long to hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. So this morning we're going to continue in our series, The Church. And one thing we love to do as a church is we love to go uh, book to book and just go through a book together. But in this series we're actually jumping from different books as we look at the church and, and why it's so important to gather together and what the Lord has to say. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and as you get there, uh, just a couple of things I want to point out is that Matthew was written by Matthew, which is really cool. And Matthew was written by him. And so, <laughs> thank you for laughing at that. Uh, and so Matthew's considered one of the four gospels in the Bible. And really we have to think of that God is, is truly, he's the divine author of this entire book. But he used human beings to, to, to use pen and paper, just like he uses human beings to share the gospel and to serve, but he, God, is the divine author of the Bible. And so as you get there to Matthew chapter 6, and, and you're looking for verse 19, uh, I want to give you some context of, of where we are at, okay, because Matthew chapter 6 is actually right in the middle of Jesus' sermon 
on this mountainside. And so I want to show you some pictures as I'm kind of talking about the, the context and the background because I've had the privilege of actually being in Israel and like sitting on this mountainside where they believe that Jesus was giving the sermon. It was just such a crazy, crazy thing to experience uh, together with the group. And so there'll be some pictures filtering through uh, as we talk about the context. So if you open up here in Matthew 6, and you look at the first couple of verses of Matthew chapter 6, what you'll see is that Jesus is, is beginning to, to talk about how to give. And he's talking about how to give and, and how we should give in such a way that glorifies God and, and not ourselves. And what he says is that if you give in such a way, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So then we keep on looking at chapter 6, and you see that Jesus is talking about how to pray. And in this how to pray section, it's the same thing. He says you're to pray in such a way and in such a manner that glorifies God and not yourself. Not using all these fancy words or trying to make some big ordeal about it, but just pray to God and glorify him. And then Jesus says the same thing. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so we keep on going. If you, maybe you have to flip a page with me. But then Jesus talks about how to fast. And this is right after he's actually demonstrated how we should pray by this famous Lord's Prayer is what we call it. And so he says how to fast. And, and again, he says we should fast in such a way that glorifies God and not ourselves. And you see once again Jesus saying, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, so now we get to our, our passage in our section, which starts right here in verse 19. And Jesus is saying all these things, and I hope you're looking at the pictures of like, whoa, this is such a cool place where Jesus was preaching all of this. And we, when you get to these verses, it kind of makes sense because there's this connection of Jesus is talking about how uh, there's this contrast between heavenly and earthly rewards, that a reward is truly the Lord. And then we come to this section and we see that there's this contrast between earthly and heavenly treasures. And so really I hope that we see that we are to do things in such a way and think of things in such a way that bring glory to God and not to ourselves. Because really that's what the Lord is saying is that if we're doing things that in such a way that's like bringing glory to ourselves, we are in sin. So no matter what we do on stage, no matter what we do in life, no matter what we do in our home, I hope that we walk in such a way, in such a manner that would be glorifying to the Lord. And so if you're with me, Right here in uh, chapter 6, verse 19, we're going to read together, and you can stay sitting, and that's okay. We're going to stay sitting today, uh, but we're going to read the word of the Lord together. Starting in verse 19, it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Amen. So this morning, our, our textual idea I want to give us is that as Jesus is preaching his sermon on a mountainside, he directly reveals where people should store their wealth. That's what he talks about. And so if you're writing notes, this is what I want you guys to write down. Who is your treasure? Who is your treasure? It's this question. That's our sermon idea. 
So I don't know if you guys know this, but my parents are actually divorced, and they divorced when I was five years old. And, and my little brother, Caleb, and I, uh, we had to move to Altus, and then, man, I'm so grateful for my grandparents because my grandparents kind of became like my second parents. And so there are these moments where my little brother and I, his name's Caleb, and, and we would play. And one thing I love to do is I just, I loved playing with, like, Legos. And so I also like Star Wars, and there are these moments where I wanted to build things because I thought I was an architect. And so I'd begin to, like, build these, what I thought, like, super cool things where, I don't know if you can kind of see, I'm going to try to build it for you real quick. Does this kind of look like a Star Wars spaceship, you know? You see, you see what I'm saying? Kind of. Kind of like a Star Wars spaceship, you know, it's like, you know. So I would build these things, and I thought I was so cool. I was like, man, look what I built, man. This is awesome. In my little brother, in little brother fashion, he'd be like, hmm, yeah, that is kind of cool, huh? Yeah, that looks really nice, Misael. And he'd kind of give me that, like, I'm going to do something. And he'd be like, hey, Misael, this is really cool. And I was like, Caleb. Thank you, guys. I was like, Caleb, are you serious? Are you serious? Like, I worked so hard on that. That's my thing. Like, that was so important to me. Thank you. Like, this is my treasure. This is awesome. It was so important. And I remember my grandpa, he'd be like, Misael, I know you treasured that. I know that was really important to you. But there are things that are much more important than what you desire, than what you've made, than what you think is awesome, your abilities, your resources, there are things that are much more important than that. And your relationship with your brother is much more important than that. Because I wanted to punch him. I wanted to punch Caleb so bad. But he said, you know, your relationship with him is so much more important. And so you've got to go talk with him. And, and he needs to realize that his relationship with you is much more important than trying to destroy what you do. And that's really what we see here in this passage is that there are things that are so much more important than our treasures that we think are awesome here on earth, than our resources, than our desires, than our will. There are things that are so much more important. And so as we look at this passage in verses 19 to 20, I want us to see this right here where really the first thing is that the master reveals the position of our heart. The master reveals the position of of our heart, and when I mean by master, I mean by Jesus. And so the master reveals that, and we see that verses 19 and 20, and we've read that uh, together, and what we see is that Jesus being fully human and fully God, he really understands human beings, and he understands the positions of our heart. And, and as you read this, and as you look closely, he's not asking if human beings store up earthly treasures. No, he knows. He knows that's exactly what we do. What we love to do is to store up these treasures on earth. And you might be asking, okay, Misael, what does it even mean to store up? You know, what does it mean to store up for myself? Well, the thing is to store up, it kind of has this connotation of invest or to take something into storage for a future use. And so the future use that Jesus is talking about here is this future use of after death of the afterlife, of what happens after this earth. That's kind of the future use that Jesus is talking about. And then we, we see this word treasure in here, where it's like, okay, we're storing up treasures on earth. What does, what does that really mean? Well, I kind of just demonstrated to you a little bit is that these treasures are what we prize. Like when I made this little like Lego thing, I prized it. I thought it was like the most important thing in the world because I made it. But the thing is, is that these treasures are those things 
that we think are, are, are awesome and, and are, are more important than anything else. Uh, and so when we talk about treasures, that's really what we mean, this, this possession or this prize. And uh, the thing is, is Jesus understands that these treasures on earth that we store, they're really good for nothing because they're destroyed. And as you look here, he says that they're destroyed by moth and, and by rust. And so he, what he's saying is that <clears throat> these earthly things are so temporary. These earthly things go away. And then the second thing that I can kind of see that we see here is that not only are they temporary, but we, we kind of think that they save us. We, we kind of think that these earthly things are the ones that save us. And the last time I checked, it's, it's not by money that we're saved. It's by grace. It's not by the things that we do that we're saved. It's by grace through Jesus and what he's done. And so that's why he's really combating our position of how we love to just store up things on earth. And so that, those are some things that we see here. And, and it's just, if I'm being honest with you, when I read this, it's really piercing. Because as human beings, our position of, the position of our heart is so sinful. We think that we can really save ourselves by our own power, our own possession, our, our own will, and that it's our own resources in which we're going to have our hope. And we, so many times we put our hope in the things that we do, the things that we have, rather than the provider himself which is God. And so I hope that is not us. And, and I, wanna, I wanna look at Proverbs 23, four and five and just read this to you because this, once again, is this beautiful connection of the Old and New Testament where it says, do not, now hear this, check this out. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly away to the sky like an eagle. Riches fly away. They are destroyed by moth and by rust. And, and I found it so interesting as I did some research, because I looked at this, I was like, you know, I've read this passage before, but I've never actually looked into what moth is. And I'm like, what is that? I don't even know, like, what does that even mean? And so what's really interesting is that they really mean like a moth, like, you know, like a, like a flying moth. But it's this cloth moth. And what it does is cloth moth comes to uh, the clothes of people or fabric. And what it does, it lays like some little eggs. And so what happens is that these little eggs kind of like go into little crevices of the cloth. And then they begin to grow and then they hatch. And these little worms or larvae begin to grow. What they actually do is they use the same cloth to eat it and to make like a little cocoon out of it. And so it begins to eat this cloth and then it destroys it. And then you're like, oh, man, I don't have my nice cloth anymore. So this cloth destroys that. And then rust, well, we all know rust, right? It's eating this metal. So we have this depiction in this picture of this thing eating clothes, this thing eating this precious metal. And then we have thieves and people who just steal those things, those things that we have. And so in this cultural context, Jesus is saying, look, because in, really in this cultural context, we see uh, that people placed their faith or their hope or their wealth and in clothes, in material things, and in the camels that they had, and the sheep that they had. And so Jesus is saying, look, you live in a place where all those things can just be taken away like that. And so that's what Jesus is talking about right here. And so as we continue to, to read this, we see that we are not to store treasures on earth, but we are supposed to store treasures in heaven. 
And so what does this mean? Like, what do you mean by heavenly treasures? And he said, like, you've talked about earthly treasures and what those are, but what are heavenly treasures? See, to explain this, I'm really grateful for Paul Purefoy. Uh, he's our senior adult pastor, and I love him so much. One time he said, you know what he said? Because Paul, he loves his, like, corny jokes. He always has a joke for me. And he, and he goes up, you know what he said? There's four things that are eternal. And I was like, okay, Paul, what are these four things? He goes, well, God, God's word, people, and margin butter. And I was like, <laughs> margin butter? He's like, yeah, you put it out, and it just never melts. It just never goes away. And it's like, okay, Paul. Look, if you don't laugh, that's fine. I didn't laugh. I was like, that is not funny. So don't feel bad that you're not laughing because I didn't laugh. I just thought I'd share with you. But, uh, but I was like, okay, Paul, what? But the thing is, is that he actually has a good point about the first three things, not, not the butter, but the first three things. And so when we talk about these heavenly treasures, we're talking about God. We're talking about his word. We're talking about people. And so when it says invest in these heavenly treasures, it's talking about, man, invest in this intimacy and this closeness with the Lord. Invest in that. Invest in his word. Because right now we live in this relationship with the Lord that is kind of interrupted by the presence of sin. But if we think about it, once we die and we are with the Lord, we will be in an unhindered, unhindered like, like relationship with the Lord that is no longer hindered by this presence of sin. And it's like invest in that. And, and then invest in people because people are eternal. Their souls are eternal. And I hope that we don't just assume that everybody knows the Lord because the cost of that is huge. And so invest in people, invest in their souls, share the gospel, be with people. And these are these heavenly treasures that we see that go beyond this life that we see. And so that's just so important for us this morning. And uh, you know, I can't help but honestly think of when I read, you know, don't store up yourselves treasures on earth. I kind of think of the Egyptians and how they like they store all this stuff in their pyramids. And they thought, uh, hey, you know, I'm gonna put all this gold and stuff in like my pyramid. It's gonna be super cool when I die. And then when I like, when I'm like after death, whatever that means, I'm gonna come back and grab all the stuff. And I'm like, my dude, doesn't work that way. My dude doesn't work that way, I'm sorry. So, you know, don't build a pyramid, put stuff in it for yourself. But that's what we see. And so what's this applicational point, right? We've kind of dissected this passage a little bit. And it's like, okay, but how, said, how do we kind of apply this a little bit more? Well, the way we apply this is that we must trust the one true God. We must trust the one true God. We must trust God with our life, our salvation, our possessions. We must trust him because everything else fades away. If we look at Isaiah 51, 8, it says, For the moth will eat them up like a garment, the worm will devour them like wool, but my righteousness will last forever, my salvation through all generations. Through all generations. We must trust the one true God. You know, I don't think, I don't think that, that Jesus is saying, hey, don't open up a savings account. Hey, don't like invest in real estate. Hey, hey, don't prepare a future for your kids. I don't think he's saying that. But what I do think he's saying is that he's really commanding us to be upward focused. Saying that the most important thing is me. It's heaven. It's your father. Because truly, if we think about it, if we think all the way back to Genesis, there is this command for us to be stewards of what God has created. We're supposed to be stewards, and we're supposed to use it wisely. And, and when we are stewards, understanding that it's God's, well, we're going to invest wisely, we're going to give wisely, we're going to use wisely. But the thing is, truly, 
is that Jesus is drawing a line between stewarding earthly resources and storing up earthly resources. There's this huge difference between stewarding and storing up. And he's drawing a, a, divide, a divide in that. And so we must trust God and seek him and sing this kingdom first. And, and really, we must do that because we're super distracted people. Like, I really think that we much rather be distracted than directed. We're these people who just like, we're kind of like that one movie with that one dog from that one Disney movie that's like, oh, squirrel. I don't know what that movie's called. Is it Up? Is it Up? Right? These guys know. You know, we're so distracted like that. And we're so distracted by so many things. And the thing is, is that when I say that, I actually don't even have to list anything out. Because you already know what that is. You already know what, you're, what distracts you from God. You already know what distracts you from truly positioning your heart to seek the Lord. Because, man, I hope that we're not distracted by creation rather than being directed by the creator. I really hope that's not us, and I pray that's not us and, and not me. And so, really, my question for you that I want you to write down and take home and really think about is, where is an area of my life that I need to ask the Lord to direct me? I need direction from the Lord. God, help me. What is an area of your life that you need direction? And sometimes it's pretty easy to think of those things. So the first thing that we saw in verses 19 to 20 is that the master reveals the position of our heart. And what we see in verse 21 is that the master reveals the condition of our heart. The master reveals the condition of our heart. And, and I want to read this. It, it's just so short but yet so powerful. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, this is, this is such a Jesus thing, to go straight to the heart. To go straight to the heart. And, and man, Jesus always aims at the heart of wanting to change the condition of our heart. Because he knows that if we change the condition of our heart, it will change the position of our heart. He's always dissecting it and saying, look, I see that you're doing all these things, but those things flow out of your heart. Those things flow out of the core of who you are. Those things are the ones that I see. And the thing is, is that our heart is so tainted by sin. It's so corrupt by sin. And we need, like absolutely need the Holy Spirit to help us, to sanctify us, to direct us, to lead us, to, to, to be the one who's like, no, we gotta go a different direction. Because Jesus reveals that our condition is so dire and we are dead without him. Man sees all the actions that we do, but just as we saw in kind of the background and the context, the father is the one who sees in secret. He's the one that sees the core of our being, the heart of who we are. And when we think about this, uh, this whole passage and, and really, Jesus is dealing a lot with wealth and with money. And, and we know that because in verse 24, it talks about how we cannot serve both God and money. And so we know that Jesus is talking about this, that he's talking about this distinction of God and money. And really, our wealth should be in him. And, and he knows that because we're so distracted in the condition of our heart is really to be our own gods. He knows that we want to put our earthly treasure into something and we put our earthly treasure, we put our treasure into earthly things. That's where our loyalty goes. 
And what Jesus is saying is like, look, you're being distracted and your loyalty is going somewhere else. When your loyalty should be to me. Your obedience should be to me. It shouldn't be to something else because that's called idolatry. That is sin. And man, I don't know, if, I don't know about you, but that hits hard in my life. Where I was like, oh my goodness, Lord. One thing that I thought was super cool about this, this passage and about just this connection of Old and New Testament of how our hearts are so easily distracted and, and we go and we fall into idolatry so easy. If we go back to Genesis, back into the Garden of Eden, back with Adam and Eve, what do we see? We see that Adam and Eve, they're tempted and, and what happens is that they shift from treasuring the Lord to treasuring themselves. They go from God being their prized possession to being their prized possession being maybe themselves or maybe their prized possession was like knowledge of everything. Maybe their prized possession is like, no, I want to be my own God, my, my own God. I didn't create the world, but I want to I be the one in control. And so there's this correlation that we see that we, like for some reason as humans, just love to be in control and love to worship other things rather than God himself. And that's what we see. And so kind of an application point here in verse 21 is that we must treasure the one true God. We must treasure the one true God. So first we saw that we must trust and now we treasure. I hope that we walk in our lives saying that, Jesus, you are my treasure. I hope that we are people that can say that, saying, Jesus, you are my treasure, you are my God, and you didn't just leave us, or you, just, you didn't just create us and leave us, but you came down to my filth. Like, you are my absolute reward, you are my absolute treasure. You're the one who has saved me, restored me, has made me new. I hope that we are people who are like, Jesus, you are my treasure. Because Jesus must be our only treasure. He should be our prized possession above everything else. Because ultimately, if we think about it for like two seconds, nothing else compares to him. Nothing else compares to him. And I ask myself, where would I be without God's grace? Where would I be without God's mercy? Where would I be without God's kindness? Where would I be without God's consistency? Where would I be without God's faithfulness? Where would I be without God's love? Where would I be without God's sacrifice? Where would I be without God? Because as human beings, we are made absolutely complete in him. And we are incomplete human beings until we find our Lord. That is who God is, and we must trust him, and we must treasure him, because it is God, he is the one who has carried us through a lot of things. Think about it. Think about your own life. God has carried you through the hard things, the bad things, the moments where you wanted to give up on yourself, the moments you wanted to kill yourself, the moments that you wanted to absolutely destroy somebody else, He's carried us through all these moments in life. And as I think about Jesus, and as I think about how he is God himself who came to earth and, and died for us, and he, and he rose from the grave, Jesus didn't come to make a better humanity. He came to make a new humanity. 
because we can't become better. We have to actually be made new. That is who we are. We have to be made new in him. And so kind of just the last thing I wanna, I wanna take us to is just verse 24. I'm gonna read this for us. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see this word money right here in the Greek and in that time, they would have understand that it was mammon. Mammon. Mammon was a God that they served. Mammon was a God that they would have served to say, man, that's, that's the God that I want is money. But it is so clear that Jesus is saying, you can't serve God and mammon, money. You can't. And we see in 1 Kings 18, 21, again, this beautiful connection where it says, Elijah went up before the people and said, how long will you waver between two options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And we know the story, and, and I hope we know the story. And if not, man, let me share with you in this moment, in this tension between saying, okay, is, is, God, that, is, is God the one true God or is Baal the one true God? God showed up. And he showed up big. And he demonstrated, yeah, I'm God. And, and really anything else that you call God is super false and doesn't exist. And you have made him up. He showed up big time. And God can show up big time in your life. And we cannot serve these two masters. And I hope that we are not people who are torn between two things, but that we pursue the Lord with all of who we are and all of what we have. It's a gift. Life's a gift. Jesus is a gift. And so I want to make sure that we continue to evaluate ourselves and say, man, Lord, when I read these things, how do I respond to that? Because if, if my condition is, is truly changed, then my my position to change. And so, Lord, how do I live in such a way that I'm just solely looking at you, understanding I'm supposed to steward these things on earth, but, man, I'm trusting you, and I'm looking at you, the one true God, for all the days of my life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the treasure of our life, you are the one that we adore. Lord Jesus, thank you for how you dissect our hearts and you redirect us. So God, I, I, we repent. We repent as a church that we would much rather be distracted and directed by you. Lord, I pray that you continue to speak to the person right now in which you are speaking to that needs you that doesn't need to become better, but needs to become new in you. Lord, thank you for this relationship that we have with you that's so intimate. Uh, Lord, I pray that you strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to continue to pursue that, to continue to pursue intimacy with you. Lord, you're doing great things in this place. You're doing great things in this church. 
And we do it all for your glory and not for our praise because we know that three generations from now, no one's gonna know our name. No one's gonna care who we are, but you will still be Lord. You will still be on your throne of grace.